going to be a hard act to follow, isn't it? What we've already had this morning. We're going through a series of Colossians, and uh, today we're looking at Colossians chapter 3. It would... What's going on? <laughs> Is my earring clicking, or am I breathing funny? But I'm getting some funny noises. Yeah, Colossians chapter 3, and um, I'm going to try and cover the whole of Colossians chapter 3. I thought, why not? Why just go for a bit? Why not cover the whole lot? The important thing to, to remember when we, we come to church and we get caught up in that amazing atmosphere where we feel that very tangible presence of the Holy Spirit, where we know somehow experientially that he is present to heal and to save and deliver. So, something that we, we, we had this morning um, where we touch heaven and heaven touches us. Um, there is always a question that we have to ask afterwards because of what's in, what we have encountered today and whom we have encountered. Uh, the title of the sermon is How Then Shall We Live? And Colossians, if we could have the slide up, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, says, if you were then... Is it up on the screen? Yeah. If you were then raised with Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then we go on to verse 4. And all I want to read of verse 4 is the word, therefore. <laughs> therefore. Colossians chapter 3 is about our response to a spiritual fact. Our response was a spiritual fact. And the first three verses lay out a statement of absolute spiritual truth, and the rest of the chapter is about the application, the required action of the people it applies to. And it's a chapter that transcends culture and religion and philosophies. And the author of Colossians was wanting to realign the Colossian church, or the Colossian church, however you like to say that word, to the kingdom of God. It sets out a superior way of living, and it radically contradicts the way that people were used to living their lives. And I guess that is applicable for all of us. My glasses have steamed up, and I can't see you, and I can't see the, the, what's in front of me. It's been so hot in here with the power this morning. So who were the Colossians? Who were they? Colossae was a, a major trade city specialized in red wool cloth. It was part of the Roman province of Asia Minor um, in southwest Turkey, one of the corners of modern-day southwest Turkey. It had been planted by maybe Paul or one of his disciples, and it was led by a guy called Philemon. And Philemon um, led this church that was composed mainly, mainly of Gentiles. So they didn't know the God of Israel. They hadn't been exposed to the, the Judaistic uh, religious practices. They were not godly people at all. And Philemon himself was an owner um, of slaves. He was a slaveholder. 
And in another epistle, in the book of Philemon, um, Paul directly communicated to him about how he was to treat his slaves. And I find that quite interesting that, you know, when we look at the life of Jesus and when we look at the, uh, the words of Paul um, and, we, and the other apostles, they weren't seeking to change the culture. They were actually seeking to bring what was happening in the culture into alignment with the principles of the, the kingdom of God. Um, it was about an alternative way of living. A culture built on kingdom principles that didn't actually say about status being the major issue, but about what you did in that status, what you did in that state that you were found in. And the letter of Colossians was believed to have been written in the time of Nero, who was one of the most wicked emperors. So it wasn't an easy time to live. And the church itself lived in a place that was known for its fusion. It had a, a fusion of religious beliefs. Uh, um, and the, the Christians in the church there would have been exposed to pagan beliefs, to Gnostic beliefs, to Greek philosophies, and to angel worship. So there was quite a hodgepodge of stuff in that church. It meant that converts and false teachers would have brought many ideas into the church and that included about doubts who Jesus really is, um, the foundation of the Christian faith. So we see that in the letter to the Colossians, um, there is a setting out of the supremacy and the deity of Jesus Christ. It affirms who he is. And it also speaks to us about the fact that Jesus can't be fitted in to our old ways of thinking. He can't be fitted in to our old belief systems. Jesus doesn't fit in to anything that we have ever known, that we've been brought up into, that we've been taught. Jesus doesn't fit into it. That actually, he fits us into his way of life. He aligns us to, to him. We are conformed to his image. And it brings me to a pivotal word in Colossians. Everything hinges on one word, everything. Not just the word therefore, that is the how then shall we live. But we have to go right back to the very first word of chapter 3, verse 1. If. Everything in Colossians hinders on that word, if. If you were raised with Christ, if you're in Christ, if. And in English, this word can mean if, and it may or may not be. It's a very conditional word. So, if the sun shines, I will go to the beach, which is an interesting one in Ireland, isn't it? Yes, because usually I will not be going to the beach if I depend on the sun to shine. It's very conditional. However, in the Greek... The word if has a very different meaning, and it depends on how it's constructed grammatically. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar in any way, so I've had to really, you know, tax my brain on this. I'm not clever with Greek at all. Um, in what they call the aorist tense in Greek, which of course I know that you all understand, as do I, when the word if is used and 
In the Greek, it's the word ei. It means if and it is so. If and it is. It, it, it's not um, a word that is conditional. It's a word that is certain. And sometimes in our translations, it's translated since. It's a fact. You know, when you come up to the stage, you must really make sure your notes are in order. <laughs> it's a word that demands our response. I mean, an example of this will be, if you're a plant, and I put you on the windowsill over there, um, because you are a plant, you can't do anything else except move with the light. Uh, those of us who remember our botany from school will know that this is called tropism. One of the few things I do remember from botany at school. <laughs> it's the inherent nature of the plant. It can do nothing else but respond to light. It, it, it doesn't have to uh, think. It, it doesn't have to have any sentience. It doesn't have to have any decision-making capacity. It is the inherent nature of a plant to respond to light. If you are in Christ... If you are a plant, you will follow the light. If you are in Christ. If you are raised with him. This is the absolute foundation of who we are as Christians. That we, as Christians, have been placed into God hidden in Christ. That's incredible. You know that means he can never lose you. And the reason he can't lose you has got nothing to do with you. It's got everything to the fact that he can't lose Jesus. I, I, that is incredible. That is amazing. When I first saw that, I thought, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm safe. I'm safe. It's not about me. It's all about what you've done. Grace. And because you are raised in Christ, God himself has placed within you a nature that demands response. A nature that orientates you towards wanting to walk with him. You know, what we experienced this morning and, and you know, other times and you, you, you come in and suddenly there is a sense of the power of the Holy Spirit almost descending like a fog. I remember being in San Francisco many years ago and watching the fog rise in, roll in. It, it was like in one of the films. It, all it needed to be was green and it would have been, you know, spooky. But it was great clouds of fog that just rolled in in a bank and absorbed everything in its path so you could see nothing. You know, the, 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 the coastal fog of California. And it, when the Holy Spirit does that, and that wave of, of his presence and the wave of the power of God rolls in over us, and, and it touches us to the very innermost parts of our being. It's incredible. It changes us. It changes us because 
the Holy Spirit begins to move and he begins to work in us. And there could be people, I don't know. You see, there could be people that walked in this morning that actually would say, well, I'm not Christian. I'm not sure what I believe. I'm not sure um, what I hold to. I'm not sure if, if intellectually I can get my head around this God stuff. That might be you. Or you might have walked into here and you're feeling broken and you're struggling with your life and there's a lot of loss and a lot of pain and a lot of stress in your life. And the last thing you want to come in is be happy, glad and free. It would be nice just to sit at the back and think, this is my season. This is my season. I'm just going to be a tree that's dropping my leaves because the winter is coming. Like Game of Thrones, winter is coming. Slowly like the fog, my life is rolling over me and it is encompassing me. You might have come in here like that this morning. But somehow I defy many of you to have resisted that sense this morning of the glory and the majesty and the awe of God. There was something very tangible in here this morning. And if you could resist it, well, God bless you. What can I say? No. But as that blanket of the Holy Spirit rolls over us and he gives us that, that touch, the question always follows, how then shall we live? Because you are a plant. You've been planted in the kingdom and as a plant can only respond to the light, as Christians, there's something in us that is driving us to respond to him. And the way that we do that, if you're a bit puzzled this morning, as to how God wants you to respond, the answer is, obedience is birthed out of love. And we love him because he first loved us. How then should we live? It's more than just a catchy title, though I thought it was good. (laughs) It was almost called therefore, but I thought this one was better. The foundation on which any of us is built is everything. We're defined by our past unless something happens to change that foundation. And the foundation defines the footprint of a building. Anything built on the footprint without foundations collapses. The walls collapse. You've got to have foundations. And our past is our foundation. Colossians tells us that we've been given a new foundation because if you and I were to actually be dependent upon the foundation that we've been brought up in, it would mean there would be many variables in this room because there are those that have been brought up with a good foundation or a better foundation and there are those that have been brought up in a very hard place. And all of us in this room have had our experiences and we're all moulded in our personalities by that past foundation. But Colossians tells us that he has given us an equal playing field, an equal foundation. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it says, He, our Father God, has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance with the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness 
and conveyed us into the kingdom of, his, of the Son of his love, Jesus. We, in this place, if Christ has gotten hold of our lives, and I'd like everybody here to be able to speak Greek this morning and say, if, and he has. If you can't say that, you've got every opportunity, just ask him to raise you up with him. Just ask him this morning to make you a plant in his kingdom instead of a plant that is dying in this world. You know, so that you can respond to the light. You know, to make you planted into his kingdom with a new foundation. Meaning that we're no longer trapped by our culture. We're no longer trapped by our education. We're no longer trapped by our social grouping. Or our conflicts. Our conflicts in here trap us more than anything else. How then shall we live? We need a complete paradigm shift. A fundamental change in our approach to life. This is what Colossians says. And the way that we assume things to be, we've got to change. And Jesus said something that has really been speaking to me recently. Unless you become as little children, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Now, it doesn't mean to say you won't go to heaven. It means that you will not have the full experience of the joy and the power and the peace of God in this life now. Yeah. Yeah, we do struggle, and, and, and this is a process, this is a journey. Unless you become as a little children, a little child, you see, children don't know anything. They don't know how to do it. You watch a child, a small child, they're learning all the time. And they don't get frightened of making mistakes or getting it wrong. We as adults are frightened of being judged and condemned for our mistakes. You know, what you did last night is gone. But what you decide to do today is in front of you. And we can decide to do something different when we say, Father, I need to be as a little child, will you teach me? And if I fall over, will you pick me up? New foundation. Equal playing field. Becoming a Christian or being born again means that we need to learn continually a new way of living and being, a process. We need to question every part of our lives and permit the Holy Spirit to speak into us and the primary way that God speak to, speaks to us is through his word. Read the Bible. It's, it's a pretty good book. Now, obedience to the word of God costs everything and demands transformation. And obedience to the word of God isn't about legalism. It's not about rigidity. It's not about judgment and condemnation. It's about love. It's about realizing that I'm conflicted with the way that I am and the way that I've been over all these years. And I, I, he sets within me a desire to be different. He causes me to rethink my life. And so we go on in, in Colossians and we come up to a set of major instructions that are setting categories. In verse 5, we see that he addresses how we deal with ourselves. 
each one of us in this room, he speaks to us and he says, deal with yourself. Put to death your members. And that word members means to mould in clay and usually refers to parts of the human body. Bring your body under control. Oh, that is so difficult. That is so difficult. You know, our habits, our vices. And the author of Colossians says, address how you deal with the needs of your body and then labours, particularly on sexuality. We, we, we speak a lot about sex in this church. Usually because nobody else does. You know, usually because it's the thing that we struggle with. People struggle with, with the issues of human sexuality. And the words here where it talks about language is not referring to the words that you use. Words are just words, you know. It, it, it actually is referring a lot to pornography. And I don't want to major on it this morning, but I want to say that pornography is a problem in the church. It's a problem in the church, not just to men, but to women. And the reason that God addresses this issue is because, like now, in the Roman Empire, it was rife. And it was considered normal, like now. Access to pornography, it's so easy, apparently. Pornography affects our marriages. According to research, porn has an accelerating effect on the deterioration of marriages. It changes the expectation of a normal sexual relationship and weakens the spousal bond. Come on, is that what we really want to do in our families? You know? It produces covetousness. It means that we objectify people as objects, and it places fantasy over relational reality. Is that what we really want? Is that what we want for our teenagers? You know, is that what we want in our lives? It's a problem in the church, and it's a problem that the church has to address. Not with legalism and rigidity and punishment. It's idolatry. Because it takes our hearts away from what God has said our hearts should be bonded to. The author of Colossians says, put it to death. Kill it. Begin by owning the problem and getting some help. You don't have to struggle on your own. You know, you don't have to struggle on your own. Psalm says that God is present to help. But then he has gifted people that can help us. Own up to the things that you struggle with. Get help. Come forward for prayer. Begin today by saying, Lord, I want to to build that new platform in my life, that new foundation. And then verse 8 speaks to our emotional world, and it speaks particularly about anger. It speaks of words that shouldn't be spoken. Words of hatred, words which shame, words which put down, words of cruelty, words which blaspheme. You know, singing worship songs this morning with your hands raised in wonder, love and bewilderment and then using words of anger spoke this afternoon, spoken this afternoon to your kids or to your spouse 
or, or to whoever, a sibling. Do you know that's blasphemy? That is blasphemy. We need to deal with the angers that we carry, the conflicts that we carry. We don't want to live those lives of conflicts anymore. And, and if you're coming to this church, where else can you go where you can really get some help for your conflicts? This is an amazing church. It's an amazing church. I like it. <laughs> and then verse 12 gives us a simple instruction. It says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, speaking about you, be kind to one another, be humble, be patient, tender-hearted, and forgive one another. Oh, the need to forgive. You know, I think I've probably been in Northern Ireland for about 10 years now, nearly 10 years. I've never seen a group of people that hold a grudge so well. You're really good at it, aren't you? It's amazing, you know. Keep short accounts. Stop taking offense. You know, stop flouncing off because somebody's upset you. You know, stop, stop it. Start practicing forgiveness. When somebody hurts you, when somebody offends you, when somebody misunderstands you, close your eyes and say, Lord, that really hurt me, but I choose to forgive. And walk away from it. And start being kind to one another. And how many times are you supposed to do that? Well, how long you got? <laughs> how many times would you like people to forgive you? We find that then God speaks to us about our relationship with him. It's not linear, this, this group of commandments. It says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Live a life of worship. You know, worship is not just what has been done here this morning. A, a lovely time of singing, where we experience that tangible presence of God. That, that's not just what worship's about. The word worship means to lay yourself prostrate in utter submission before deity. Lay your life down before him. Lay down. Lay down. How we need that peace. How we need that peace. We need to obey the word of God by dealing with the obstacles in us that prevent us from dealing with obeying the word of God. We need to unlearn or we need to relearn that our culture doesn't define us. That our nationalism doesn't define us. That where we were born and where we grew up doesn't define us. If we're prepared to bow the knee and let God transform us by renewing our minds, we will find there is a knock-on effect in our lives. We will find our marriages begin to shape up. We find that we begin to understand the structure of God and how he set that up in the church. There's so much I could say about this. So much. And maybe one day we will just have a talk just on husbands loving your wives and wives submitting yourself to your own husbands. You know, it's not a conditional request. You don't love your wife because she honours and submits to you. 
wives, you don't submit to your husbands because they love you and they listen to you and, and they buy you roses at the appropriate time. <laughs> and they remember your anniversary. It, it's not conditional. We are called to obey what God has told us to obey. It's about me. Families shape up. You know, when, when parents get their lives in order and they are aligned to God's way, families stay, shape up. You know, one of the things that, that Colossians says is that children are to obey and honour their parents. I've had kids. It's not easy. The obedience bit is not something that comes very naturally to them. But don't put all the responsibility on the child because Colossians says fathers, particularly fathers, and it's Father's Day today. Why, why don't you make a decision before God and say, God, help me to be a good father to my children and stop frustrating them. Stop provoking them to anger. You know, if you don't want your kids, your teenagers, any age, going like this with you dads, Come alongside them and listen to them and hear what they're saying. Don't frustrate them. They're not perhaps as articulate as you. They haven't got as much life experience as you. Don't expect them to measure up to something that they haven't yet measured up to. Help them. Study what discourages your kids and stop doing it. <laughs> Instead, encourage them. Validate praise and emotionally communicate with them tell them you love them give them security that's all they want your kids want to please their parents doesn't always seem like it but they do they don't want to upset you they haven't set out when they're three to think right I've got the I've got the gist of these two I'm going to make their lives miserable they're not doing they're not doing that but so many parents are at war with their kids stop it and finally, it was interesting this morning in, in the prayer meeting, Jazz was speaking about something that they have in America called Juneteenth, and it's about slavery and, and you know, the remembrance of, of slavery in America and how slavery is not something that we want to be engaged with. But Philemon was a, a, a slaveholder. Um, I, I've nearly finished so the worship group can make their way up if they want you see we sing that um, we sing that song don't we I'm no longer a slave to fear we love to stop being slaves but actually the word of God says a word about slaves it tells us that slaves have to be obedient to their earthly masters how does that apply to us well we're slaves we're never going to be free from slavery. We're either slaves to sin and fear and death, or we're slaves to righteousness and Jesus Christ and the kingdom. But we're always a slave, so how then should we live as a slave? Well, be obedient to those that God has placed over you. Stop complaining about your pastor, your house group leader, your elders, anybody else that has got the misfortune to have leadership in the church. Stop it. Obey the earthly authorities. <laughs> what can I say? Stop speeding. 
That one's for me. <laughs> Listen to the teaching and the preaching of the church. Take it on board and be obedient. Be kind to slaves, because you're one. You want people to be kind to you, be kind to people. So how then should we live? We need a new foundation, we need Jesus. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need an encounter with him. And we need to let God transform us to kill the old and reveal the new. Actually, we need help. <laughs> we need help. And I know somebody that can do it. God bless you. I've got a plane that I'm going to get on right now. So I love you all. See you in order, August. <laughs>